This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. This morning's first reading is from the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. Holy wisdom, holy word. The second reading is from Philippians. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Holy wisdom, holy word.
The Holy Gospel according to John, the twelfth chapter. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. Although Brianne does all of the heavy lifting when it comes to putting the bulletins together, she asks me to come up with a piece of artwork for the front. So I put in the gospel lesson into Google, did a search, and all of these images come up of Mary anointing the feet of Jesus. And quite frankly, the vast majority of them simply look creepy. For one thing, Mary's always depicted as young and beautiful. And here she is bowing at the feet of this man, cradling his feet, wiping them with her hair. And in this uh, Me Too age, it quite frankly even makes me uncomfortable. So finding an image was a little bit of a challenge this time around. There's something very intimate about feet, which I discover yearly when Monday Thursday rolls around. In some of the congregations I have served, we have tried to do foot washing. And I think if I had asked people to do a lap around the church naked, they would have been less aghast than the thought that they were going to come up and expose their feet. I think maybe the Bible recognizes this because in the Old Testament, the feet oftentimes become a metaphor for the more intimate regions, shall we say such that when, in the book of Ruth, when Ruth goes out into the field and lies at the feet of Boaz, that's not what she's doing. 
She's not just lying at the feet of Boaz. You have to read between the lines. And that sense of intimacy and of uncomfortableness, I think, extends to us in that when we read this, oftentimes we... we substitute Mary Magdalene here for Mary, the sister of Martha. We imagine Mary, the prostitute, taking the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair. It somehow seems to fit. But that's not who this is. You remember Mary and Martha. We have seen this scene before of Jesus coming to dinner at their house. And there we find, once again, Martha in the kitchen getting ready to serve. Only in that scene, it is Mary who comes out and sits at the feet of Jesus to listen to what he has to say. And so we come to this story with that memory, with that scene. And now what are we to do with this story? Well, the objection being raised doesn't seem to have to do with the intimacy of what Mary is doing. Judas doesn't say, oh my goodness, why are you letting this woman touch you in this manner. But rather, he objects to the wastefulness of her gesture. Why was this precious perfume not sold and the money used to feed the poor? At which point John jumps in and sounding a little bit like a rumor monger informs us that, well, he wasn't really upset about that. He was upset because he wanted to steal the money. And earlier he reminds me, don't forget, this is the guy who's going to betray Jesus. John does this a lot in his gospel, and I always find myself bristling a little bit when he does it. I want to tell him to calm down and let me interpret it as I read. Just tell me the story. And so I want to give Judas just a little more credit. Maybe because it sounds like something I might say. Perhaps it sounds familiar to you as well. After all, it does sound like an incredible waste. Here, here in the church, we count on the giving of our church members to support this place, to support the ministry and the mission that we do. And we understand the importance of using those gifts appropriately. We are expected to run a lean, mean ministry machine 
because we know that if we are seen to be wasteful, you may take your gifts elsewhere. And perhaps that is as it should be. Because there is only so much available and we have to use it wisely. But then what do we do with Mary? Mary who seems to act so irresponsibly in her use of the disciples' funds, in her wastefulness of resources. Well, perhaps some hint may be found in that Jesus says, leave her alone. She has taken what she was saving for the day of my death and instead she has wasted it on the living. Something about Something about holding on and planning for a rainy day feels to me like planning for death. It seems to underscore the fact that we have a limited amount of resources and that if we don't use them wisely, we won't be here. Which I understand and which makes perfect sense, except that very little about the gospel and very little about discipleship makes perfect sense. I remember in a preaching class I took at seminary one of the things that our instructor told us was don't hold back. If you get a good thought, don't hold on to it for another sermon. Dump it all out today. Everything that comes to you, dump it out today. The Spirit has given it to you to preach today. Use it. And trust the Spirit to give you something else tomorrow. It's hard advice to follow because it, it feels like vulnerability. Because when I get two really good ideas, I want to hold on to one to use later. But I realize that I'm doing that because I'm afraid I might not be able to think of something tomorrow. Am I willing to trust that God will give me something to say tomorrow as God has today? Mary comes to Jesus and literally dumps everything she has, anointing the living Jesus. And she does it with no thought as to what might happen tomorrow, but simply in thanksgiving 
for what is happening today. In thanksgiving to the living Jesus, she gives everything that she has in a wasteful gesture of generosity. And in so doing, leaves her vulnerable not only to the criticism of those around her, but vulnerable to the vagaries of happenstance. What will happen tomorrow? Or the day after? Or the day after? Well, perhaps it's worth remembering that there is not only the industrious Martha in today's story, not only the extravagant and wasteful Mary, but there is another silent one at the table, Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. And it seems to me that if I am going to look at this story and try to find a place to fit me into it. Maybe that's where it makes the most sense. Because I am here not because I am such an industrious and productive worker. I am not here because I am such a generous soul. I'm here because I've been raised from the dead. Because in Christ's death and resurrection, I too have been raised to new life. Not sometime in the future, but now, in this place, and in this time, it's so easy for us to feel like somehow this all relies on us. That, that somehow redemption is something we have to get done. On our bad days, we feel like it's all in our lap. On our good days, perhaps, we feel like, well, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross now let me help you clean up here and, and take care of all the, the stray bits. But rather, we are the Lazaruses at this table. We are the ones who simply receive the gift of God, of new life, and there is nothing left for us to do except to pour out our thanksgiving, to pour out our praise, to pour out our gifts and our joy in response to what has been done and to what is being done. But in doing so, we become radically vulnerable we get thrown back on the grace and generosity of God, which is, frankly, all that dead people can do. We are the passive ones. We are the recipients. And one 
last image that strikes me about this story is that in wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, Mary, having poured out this, this perfume that she was saving for the death of Jesus, now comes away smelling of death. She and Jesus share this in common. And so we, as followers of Jesus, come away smelling of his death and his resurrection. And that is the witness that we give. That in us, we pray that others might smell that sweet perfume of the death and resurrection of Jesus and be reminded that it's not what we do but what Christ has done. Amen.